Hello everyone and welcome to our Threshold podcast. We are so happy that you have taken time to join us today and we pray that you will be absolutely encouraged by the plethora of messages and encouraging words that we share here in our church. Threshold is a family of believers based in East Riding of Yorkshire in the wonderful city of Hull and our head pastors are Pastor Deborah and Philip Banda. Be blessed. I think I've done my work for today. So we just go home. I'm just asking my boss. Say, Jesus, can I just go now? I've done my work for today. Amen. Amen. Something can you grab me some water, please? Um, praise God. Okay, I want I want to I want to take you into this next phase of we're talking about more vision. And I've been blessed so much by the feedback I've been receiving from the first week that we did it last week. We're talking about more vision. If you can't see, you can't get there. Last week we talked a lot about Proverbs 29:18 and and and, and, and we talked about where there is no vision, the people perish. And we say that it's a particular type of vision. It is not just go home, dream of a vision and say, oh, I've got a vision for my life. No. It actually means where there is no redemptive vision. Where there is no knowing of God's plan or what God is doing. The people perish. So you and me have got to see a particular type of vision. And that vision is called God's plan. Are you with me? And we said, it also does not just mean you will perish. It means the people perish. The people around you perish when you don't have a revelation of God's plan. So your children perish. Your family perishes. Your city might perish because you didn't, if there's no one who's seeing God's plan. There must be someone who sees God's plan for people not to perish. And we said the word perish means to decay, to be destroyed, to be good for nothing. So when nobody is seeing God's plan, the people will soon become good for nothing. You want to prevent that? You gotta make sure there is somebody who begins to see the vision. Amen. Amen. We made several conclusions that I want to go through right now before I take you into today's message. Several conclusions we made. The first conclusion we made is that our vision, the first place of vision is Christ. Our vision must be to see Christ. If you can't see Christ, you can't have a good vision. Do you remember we made that conclusion? We said when we see Christ, we see also his body, which is the church. If you can't see his body, and I took you to the communion to prove this, Paul says if you don't discern the body, this is why most of you are dying, most of you are in sickness and are weak, because you don't see the body. Hello. We said when we see what he wants to do in the, in the earth, Jesus, then we can see what he wants to do in the church. When we can see what he wants to do in the church, then we can see what vision he wants us to carry. You don't come up with your vision. It doesn't work outside in. You don't bring your vision into the church, the body of Christ. You get the vision that he sees for the body of Christ, and from it you determine what vision you carry. Are you with me? The body defines you, just like the hand is defined by the body. Hello? If you're walking somewhere in a desert and you find a hand by itself, first it will freak you out. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, why is a hand here by itself? You might not even think it's a hand. Maybe you might think, oh, what is this? 
Because the hand makes more sense when it is attached to your body. It is defined by every part of your body draws its definition from the body. Have you seen what an eye looks like when they've taken it out of the body? All the parts of the body cease to look beautiful when they remove them from the body. If somebody's nose is chopped off, you won't be like, oh, beautiful nose. You'll be like, gross. Your own part of the body chopped off from you will look ugly in your very eyes. It's only beautiful when it stays in the body. Have you seen how, how ears look? They're not that great. On their own, it's like, what's this? What can you do with this on its own? You know, I'm blessed with small ones. Some of you have big ones. <laughs> but they only look good because they are on your body. Like they sit so well, right? Every part is defined by its body. So we say, if you're going to catch a vision, you're going to catch the vision of the body of Christ. That is what should define you. And we need to teach modern day Christians a lot more about that. Because they think church is a place we come so that God can fulfill their visions. I told you a little bit about Jesus is a lion in the church. <laughs> he roars. Church is a place you come so that we can fulfill his vision. Hello? Yeah, this is not about personal dreams and visions. And most people start out that way, then after a while they discover, no. It doesn't work that way. Because every time he speaks to you, he's speaking about what he wants to do. Not what you want to do. That doesn't come first. And we need to wash some people's minds from this, you know, wrong thinking. That they have made their pastors now become entertainers. That have to always minister to their need to accomplish something. Ah, I don't have to minister to your need to accomplish something. You need to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. That will bring fulfillment in your life more than ten limousines and Bentleys. Trust me. You will be so fulfilled. And all these things will be added to you. But you know what? It won't matter as much. It is people who will be looking at you and say, Oh, she's got a mansion. But to you it will be like, I, I just saved Jesus. It's like in life, as you appreciate, your finances appreciate, you can afford some finer things. But when you can afford, let's say, go to a certain restaurant, you, that's it. That's where you eat. You go there, you buy the food. You don't start dancing. Maybe the first time you're there, you're like, oh, wow, oh, I was always dreaming to be in this restaurant. But once you can afford to live in that level, that's it. It's like desiring, I want to drive that car, that car. Then you buy it, then you drive it, then what? You know, so it's us who like celebrating sometimes the people that are looking like they're driving nice cars. For them, they're, driving, they're just driving a car. That's a car they can afford. It's as simple as that. It's just as good as your pension. They're driving it to work, they're coming back. <laughs> are you with me? I'm not saying your life, your life will appreciate and your value will increase. And then you can afford other things, but they will not define you. You are defined by the vision he sees for you. Amen? Amen. I don't know why I ended up there. I was just summing up. And we finished here. Looking at him gives you more vision for your life. If you keep looking at Jesus... It gives you more vision for your life. Looking at Jesus is what improves what you see also for your life, for your family, for everything. Just by looking at Jesus, 
That's what he taught the disciples, not once, at least three times. Fishermen, not looking at him, they caught nothing. When they looked at him, they caught fish. Not once. Because he's trying to show them, when you look at me, then you can even see what you thought you were looking for. So vision must begin with a desire to see him. A desire to know him. Amen. Amen. Now today I just want to, I want to, I want, in a few minutes I want to talk to you about what I, I, I'm calling the complete vision for every believer. The sevenfold vision for every believer. The sevenfold vision. The number sevenfold simply means completion. The fullness of vision he expects from every believer. Amen. I'm going to read Revelation 1, 9 to 20. I've already eaten my time recapping, so I'm going to be quick. Revelation 1, 9 to 20. I'm reading the Passion Translation. The sevenfold vision for every believer. I was going to talk about, this is our vision in this church today, but I'm not going there yet. I want to talk about the sevenfold vision for every believer. Every believer must have these seven points in their vision. This is the sevenfold vision for every church. This is a vision that Jesus expects us to have. Revelation 1, 9 to 20. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation. So in suffering, I'm your brother. In the kingdom. We know what that means. And in the patience that are found in Jesus. So in waiting for Christ, I'm also your brother. I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the ministry of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like a son of man, wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool. White as glistening snow. And his eyes were flames of fire. His feet were gleaming with bright metal. As though they were glowing in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet, as good as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and I heard his reassuring voice saying, Don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and I am the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen realm. Now I want you to write what you have seen. What is, what will be after the things that I revealed to you. And what will be after the things I revealed to you. The mystery of the lampstands and the seven stars is this. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the seven stars in my right hand are the seven messengers of the seven churches. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is what we see in this scripture. Captured what John was just at the beginning of the encounter with Jesus. He meets up with Jesus. Somebody say more vision. vision. Now history teaches us that at this time, uh, some historians say it this way. At this time, John had been persecuted. They had gorged out his eyes. He was suffering and they had failed to kill him. And they had banished him to an island in Patmos for preaching the word of God. 
He was under heavy persecution. At this time, that's what's happening. And then Jesus decides to give him more vision. May God give you more vision. Now what we look, what we see in this text, just a few, three things that I will mention. And then I will carry on with the next of the text. The first thing you see is that Jesus chooses to reveal himself the way he wants John to see him. He chooses. He would have come on a horse. He could have come looking very differently. But he chooses. Everything he does, he has chosen to reveal himself that way. Are you with me? Jesus chooses how he's going to reveal himself to John. Everything. Including what he's wearing. He has chosen. This is the way I'm going to show John who I am. The second thing. Jesus then tells John to write and tell everything about what he's seeing. Hmm? So he's show and tell. He decides, I'm going to show John how I am. And then I'm going to ask him to write, but not just write for his sake, but he's going to have to tell everybody. So, you know, it looks like this. When I was younger, I remember, you know, we would have guests in our house. Now, in a a house of eight children is, is... now that I have three, I, I understand. My parents were hard workers. <laughs> a, a house of eight children is quite hard to, to manage. You know? and, and, and in our family, it was full of people that were just two years apart, two years apart, two years apart, two years apart. So at some point, there was five people as teenagers and things like that. You get what I mean? So the house of eight children, uh, yeah, it's busy. So I remember when we were having guests, because my parents would have guests from church and they would be running marriage courses from the house and all that. And, and, and how they would drill us, you know, and, 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 and the things that you're not supposed to do when you've got guests. And the first thing is you've got to wash as well, yeah? So, you, so if they're sat in the living room with guests, you're not going to turn up with your, with yourself, your hair looking that way and, you know, white with, uh, not because you're white, but <laughs> with dust all over you. And, and, and then, you know, my father would just look at you like this, you know, and when the guests go, you will receive a lecture <laughs> of why. They, you know, including things like, you know, when, you, when there are guests, you can't be hiding in your room. You need to come out and greet them. You know? And now I find myself in that position sometimes. When I say to my children, hey, uh, you didn't come down to say hi. What, what's wrong with you? Because you know? I grew up like that. You know? You need to come out and say hi and greet the guests and then go to your business. And be polite. And, and, and sometimes the guests will ask for some water. And you were drilled which cups are for the guests. You know, my mother was very good at that. You can't just go and grab, grab your plastic cup and your what, what, and, and then, you know, and it's dripping with water, and then you bring it to your guests and say, oh, water. No. Another thing we were drilled in, which you would not know, is that we will bring a clean glass, and we will bring the water, and give it to the guests, and wait. Until they dismiss you. If they say, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll drink this one slowly, then you go. And if they don't dismiss you, you have to wait, because my mother is right behind you. You can't go, you wait until, yeah? Why would my parents do all that? Because there's a way they want their house and their family to be seen as. So if they say, we have a meeting tonight, don't play in this room. And that's it, none of us are going to touch it. It's clean and you're not going there. But you know children, sometimes you do it. Because there's a way they want their house to be seen. Their family to be respected. They, everybody, we all have those. That's why we, we dress up and we do this and we tell our kids sometimes they don't say that. You know, and, and all that. Because there's a way... We want to be seen. This is a way. What's what I mean? Jesus had 
did this deliberately because there is a way. He knew when I talk to John, I want him to write everything he sees. Not just what I tell him. Everything he sees. Therefore, I'm going to look like this. Which makes only one conclusion. This is the way Jesus wants to be known. When you read what he did, this is the way he wants us to know him. Because he concludes and says, everything you see, we read there, right? Right to the churches. I told you what the number seven means. Seven churches. But when you read about it, he's really writing to the church. Seven is also a number for the fullness of what he's talking about. He's writing to the church in full. To us. Not just to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and all that. He, you know, in fact, if you start reading inside those letters, I will not have time to do that today. You find that he actually, if, if the letter starts to the church at, or to the messenger at Ephesus. But it concludes with, he who has ears, let him hear what he is saying to the churches. The letter is addressed to one church, but finishes by saying to the churches. Because he's talking to all the churches, seven. Seven is a number of fullness. The fullness of the church. Hello? So by looking at those seven letters and how he introduces himself, I can draw from it the sevenfold vision he wants to see in the church. Because to each of the churches, he had something he wanted to see. Are you with me? Before I finish with that, let me, let me read you this little thing here. It says, if, 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 if uh, okay, before I do that, so in everything he's showing himself, you can actually find, you can actually find what he wants to be known as. For the first time, John sees Jesus with white hair, very white or whiter than snow, right? He wants to be seen as, 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 as this, it's, it's a symbol of wisdom. He wants to be seen as the ancient of days, the one full of wisdom. For the first time, Jesus shows himself as a person with fiery eyes. He wants to be seen as the all-knowing one. I descend, I can see through you. That's what he wants to be seen. I'm the judge of all. For the first time, he shows himself as one with fiery feet. His feet are like bronze and it's on fire. Feet are a symbol of triumph, of victory. He wants to be seen as the ultimate victorious one. Nothing can stand in his way. For the first time, he's described as one with the voice of a rumbling of many waters. It roars when he speaks. Even that, he wants to be seen as the highest voice you can ever listen to. Are you with me? The greatest voice you should follow. All other voices are nothing compared to his role. Isn't it amazing that in all those details, there's something he wants us to see him as? Huh? And then he goes to the most spiritual symbolisms. He's got the seven stars in his hands. And then he explains to John. He says, the stars represent the messengers of the churches. Now, in other translations, he uses the word the angels. And most people get confused. The letters are not addressed to angels. You know that, right? He wouldn't be speaking like that to the angels. You've lost your first love. That word is also translated the messengers, the leaders of the churches. So he's trying to show now, he wants to be seen as the one in charge of the churches. He says, look, I hold your leaders in, your, in my hand. I'm in charge of this thing. I can do whatever I want. I hold the leaders in my hand. He wants to be seen as he's in charge of the church. That's why it's a foolishness for a church to gather like this and not know how to worship him. 
Because he, he wants to be seen as he's in charge of the church. So we have to set our affections on him. And not on any other business. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. He's a sovereign authority in the church. Unopposed. The sword in his mouth. Double-edged sword. He wants to be seen as the pure truth. And unadulterated truth. I don't have time to explain this, but let me try. The sword represents... You know, he says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? And every time he talks about a double-edged sword, double-edged sword, double-edged sword, double-edged sword. And, 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 and it, it, the point of the sword, the, the, the sharpness of a sword is its integrity. And his word is, is, and him are so one. You know, when you forge two metals together, some of you will catch this. I'll try it another day. I don't have time today. But when you forge two metals together, how many have sharpened a knife before? When you continue sharpening, so this is a blunt knife. If this is the tip of a knife, it's blunt, right? It can't cut. To continue sharpening is to continue bringing the two ends together. The more the ends meet, the sharper it becomes. When two ends become one, you've got a very sharp knife. Did you get that? So his word and him are so one that out of his mouth it is so sharp. He wants to be seen as one with integrity. What he says is what it is. He's one with his word. You see why our word is not that sharp? Because most of the time we're not one with it. It's like this. You know, we have got a doubt, so when we're speaking our word, it's still a bit blunt. It can't cut. Things can't happen. But you also can remember the days sometimes the gift of faith came upon you and God made you just believe in this word you were saying. And you believed and it was so sharp and so the thing happened. And you're like, yeah, I believed God, right? When you become one with your word, sharper than a double-edged sword. <laughs> Let's finish. He says, as the greater light. You know, he, he says his face was shining as the sun. He wants to be seen as the greater light of life. Because the sun is the light by which we do life. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to think the sun is the greatest thing when it comes to light. I am the greater light. So he shows up to John with a face. For the first time, that is shining brighter than the sun. To show you, he is the greater light by which you can do life. It's amazing how much life we do by this lesser light. The sun. Okay, in creation, the sun is called the greater light. Because it's greater than the stars. Right? Greater than the moon. But when you compare it to the one who created it, you understand? It's a lesser light. It's a light by which we do life. You know, all these things we did today, we did it by this light. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm the light of the world, John 1 says. And, and, and you can do life by my light. He wants us to know that. When we begin to see the vision he wants us to see, amazing. Let me finish by telling you the seven things. Because I'm going to skip some things. I'm not going to keep you here. The seven things that he reveals to the churches. The visions that he wants the churches to carry. Hmm. It's important to know how you see him. Those things I've said just changes how you see him. When you begin to see him like that, it determines what you see as well. Amen? Amen. Hmm. What you see, it, will determine, it really determines the vision you see. 
It's very common. Now, I was reading, uh, uh, before I do the seven things, I was reading a, a, a survey, not a survey, like a, like a report on why in the UK right now we are lacking skills of engineers and many, you know, like practical science kind of skills. They are, they are lacking. We're lagging behind. Uh, uh, and it's because most children, most younger people are choosing to do courses in the arts, not you, Tabitha, but choosing to do courses in the arts and humanities, especially in creative stuff and sports. And one of the reasons they are saying that is happening is because that is what is celebrated massively in media. So I'm not so shocked. Every time, once in a while, I sit down with my children around the table and I ask them, so what are you going to be when you grow up, Zengi? You know? Yeah, we were doing that the other week, right? <laughs> what are you going to do when you grow up? And I'm not surprised when I hear back, oh, I want to be a basketball player. I want to be a footballer. I'm like, have you thought about being an accountant? And he goes, Dad, what's an accountant? <laughs> <laughs> what you see begins to determine the vision you see for your life. So, you know, for us who are parents, it's important that we put the children before a lot of things. The reason sometimes they don't see Christ is because we are not showing them Christ. You know, we need to show them Christ. We need to get them into church, let them know the feel of a local church. But that's not enough. And listen to me, this is where sometimes we fail. We don't show them the big picture of the church globally. You see, that's, that's, that's why I love the idea. The first time we ever took this guy, we decided, no, let, let's, let's do something global. Let's go to a Hillsong conference where there's other countries there. There's thousands of people there. So the first time we took him there, he got hooked onto it. When are we going again? But I, what I'm doing is showing him a bigger picture of, hey, we're not just a club of few people that know each other and, and that's it. And you think this is about being African. It isn't. This is global. So if, when you show the bigger picture of what everything is going on in, you need to show your children all these things. The local church. Okay, Christ in the home. The local church. But don't stop there. Most parents stop there. Don't stop there. You can't just show them the local church because soon they will leave the local church and go to university somewhere else. Then what? Show, you show the bigger picture. They belong to something bigger than this. And when people begin, they begin to appreciate, they see the kingdom. What they see begins to give them vision for their lives. Awesome. I'm not getting to the things I wanted to say. So I'm going to be stopping in the show. <laughs> Seven things that Jesus mentioned to the seven churches, to help us see properly. To the church in Ephesus, he said, I am the one who has the seven stars in my right hand. What does that mean? I am the one who has absolute authority in the church. I've already said that. I have full charge. So what vision does he want them to see? He says, I want you to love me. He says, you've lost your first love. You see, Jesus, the first vision he really wants us to have is this vision. Love him. Do you love me? Remember the three questions he asked Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Before he told him what to do. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Most of us hear, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. No, 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 no. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It is very important that we are always answering that question. That's the first vision he wants you to have. How much do you love me? It's amazing when you read that scripture. When he says to them, you have done so many things. It's like, wow, they are doing great. And then he says, but you, 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 you don't love me the way you love me. 
And I've spent so many years trying to explain what he meant when he said, do you do? No. He just meant, do you love me? I'm not going to explain it. It's time to love him again. You hear me, church? Yeah. We, we can, we, 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 us who minister can become so busy with church that we forget that it's supposed to be, the first question he's going to ask you is, do you love me? I am convinced that's the first question he's going to ask. It's not how did you minister to bright, it's do you love me? And, 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 and you say, but what does he mean by that? He means exactly that. Do you love me? Are you in love with me? Are you passionate about me? Are you saying, Jesus, I love you? Is that what your heart is saying? The first vision he wants you to put down before you write, oh, my vision is to conquer the whole world. The first vision is to love him. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord. All your heart, might, strength, everything. <laughs> love the Lord. He answered that. It's the first and greatest. It's not like there is an argument about it. It's one of the few questions that Jesus actually answered just straight up. When they said to him, what is the greatest commandment? He says, yeah, love the Lord with all your heart. And the second one, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He didn't even go into parables beating about the bush. Nah, that one he just answered, bang. It is settled. And you know the person that asked him, the Pharisees that asked him, they said, you are right. So they also agreed. One place of agreement between them and Jesus is this one. The greatest commandment, love. God. We're going to love him. And we're going to continue to cultivate that. Put that down. This is my vision. Number one, love the Lord. I want to raise a family that loves the Lord. I, I want to do things that show that I love him. And I want to love him. We're talking about missions. The reason you're going to do missions is not because Pastor Phil said missions. It's because you love him. Five more minutes. In Smyrna, he says, I am the beginning and the end. That's the other church. He reveals that. I am the beginning and the end. The king. I am there in the beginning and in the end. And what vision does he want to see out of them? He knows they are suffering. So he says, I want you to endure hardship. If Jesus was going to give you a vision for the church, he would say, I want a church that loves me. I want a church that endures hardship. People that know how to stand with me, whether they are in trouble or not. Don't you think that looks like the Acts church? Yeah. I want a church that knows how to go through hardship and endure it. Hmm. Not a church that fears hardship. So he says to them, you guys, I want you to remember that I died and I rose again. So he introduces himself. I am the beginning and the end. The one who died and rose again. I suffered. So here's a vision I want to see in you. Endure hardship. You know, there's a virtue in people that know how to endure hardship. With him. Just stick with him. No matter how hard it gets. He says they, soon the devil is going to come. He's going to throw some of you in prison. That's what he says to them. But stay faithful. He says. Vision number two. I am going to stay faithful. Come rain. Come sunshine. I will endure hardship. I wish somebody told me this the day I got saved. But no, they make it sound like it's just going to be nice, a bit of roses. and <laughs> Come to J-E-S-U-S-J-O-Y, we'll follow. Come to J. It's true, joy will follow, but not quite the way we interpret it. 
I've got another week to deal with this, so I'm going to move quickly. In Pergamum, he says he is the one who is, whose word is two-edged, sharp, has integrity. I've already talked about that. Your vision there is to love his teaching, his sound doctrine. Because he teaches them that, hey, you have allowed people to carry a wrong doctrine in your midst. And he says he hates that. I'm going to deal with that. You've allowed people to carry a doctrine. I don't have time to talk about it. But you've allowed people to carry a false doctrine in your midst. I don't want it. I want you to keep my word till I come. Keep my word. He wants that on your vision board. Love him first. Endurance. Keep his word. Because life is going to throw stuff at you. That's why he's saying this. Give it as your vision. Have it as your vision in life. I'm going to keep his word. There's people with so awesome teachings nowadays. So, I call them awesome, but so... Somebody can stand up and speak and they will speak and they will speak and you'll be like, wow, this is great, except it's not the word of God. It's all appealing to your senses. Entertaining you. Feeling great. And you will leave the meeting feeling great about yourself. But since when was that the goal in life that satisfied you? Do you know what? The psychologists that pushed in the 90s, late 90s, and they started to push a lot about the issue of self-esteem and how important it was. Do you know that now they are writing papers saying they overestimated the power of self-esteem. It is not as powerful as they thought. A few years ago, that was the deal. Everybody, any problem was what? We need to work on your self-esteem. We need to work on... Now they are, they are writing papers. Go read. <laughs> self-esteem is overrated. There is more to life than self-esteem. Find Jesus. <laughs> Whew. I give you the last the other three. I won't even preach them. In Thyatira, he wants this vision of, he says, you have allowed Jezebel to teach. You've allowed a false prophet. So in Thyatira, he shows himself as the one with the blazing eyes and blazing feet. That's what he says. I am the one with blazing eyes. Like I can see you. I can judge all of you. And I can see amidst you, you've allowed a false prophetess. Her name is Jezebel. And she's teaching people immorality. And you are tolerating it. So in Thyatira, he's saying, I want you to have a vision to say, I will not follow false teachers. I will not associate with false teachers. It's very big and very important. You can't be a person that everything goes, just everything goes. No, not everything goes. Pray, seek God, find out. Okay, now this is not a solid decision. Because some of us make this based on how we feel. We see someone, we feel a scratch somewhere. Just because of the way we are raised up and we say, oh no, that's not a man of God. No, that's not what he's saying. You've got to learn to judge. You've got to learn to pray. See, God, let the Holy Spirit show you. But when he shows you there is falseness here, their problem is they kept tolerating it. They kept tolerating Jezebel. I don't know, maybe her prophecies were very accurate. <laughs> but they kept tolerating her. And Jesus said, you tolerate her. And I am not happy with you over that. I'm going to come and throw her on a bed of sickness. They kept tolerating the false word of licentiousness. I will not go into that. But get a vision. To disassociate with false teachers, false prophets in this case. Very clear. Amen? Amen. In Sadis, he says, I am the one who holds the seven. Uh, seven spirits of God. I'm the one who holds the seven spirits of God, which represents the full ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm in charge of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says to the church, you have a reputation that you are alive, yet you are dead. It means they look alive as a church. Their worship is great. They're doing great. Ooh, nice coffee, you know. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And then he says, but you're dead. What does he mean? The meaning is in his introduction. When he says, I am the one who holds the seven spirits. He's trying to say, in my hands, I don't see any activity of the Holy Spirit where you are. You are dead. To me, you are dead. The people know you as a great people, a great church. But to me, you are dead. What's the vision he wants the church to carry? Pursue the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the vision you have to carry. I will seek the work of the Holy Spirit. I will not move until the Holy Spirit says move. When you're in business, pursue the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't replace the Holy Spirit with your experience. Don't replace him with worldly knowledge. Pursue the working of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So he says, I am the one who has absolute authority over the working of the Holy Spirit. So I can know when the Spirit is moving. Now can you imagine some of these meetings we've gone to and we've come out and said, the Holy Spirit moved and Jesus is going, no he didn't. No he didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm giving you things to go think about. In Philadelphia, he says, uh, I am the one with the key of David. So which means, I want you to look at me as somebody who can open doors for you. Don't open doors for yourself. In the kingdom, there's no such thing as opening doors for yourself. That's, not, that's why we sneer at preachers. We were laughing, Debbie and I, because there's this particular person, I won't mention them. But every time they text me, they, they text me uh, like this. They say, oh, I've seen a word for you. Can I come and preach at your church? Once or twice you can tolerate that. Third time you think, no. You don't open doors for yourself in the kingdom. He says to them, you guys are going to have to persevere. I love your perseverance because you have persevered. Let me show you that I'm the one who opens doors. That's what he says to them. So what's the vision you're going to get? I will persevere until he opens my doors. Don't open your doors. Let him open your doors. It will be awesome to change your life. There's many times we've tried to open our doors and we come back limping. And say, God, why? Why did it? You opened it yourself. He wants us to have a vision to see him open doors for us. And the last one in Laodicea, I've rushed through them. He is the amen, the one whose approval we need. He says, I'm the amen. You know what amen is? Approved. It's the first time he, like, he presents himself in such a way that, you know, he's saying to them, you guys, whatever you do, if I don't approve it, don't pursue it. Don't look to the left or to the, to the right for, to please anybody. I am the amen. If I stamp on it, bang, it's approved. Your vision, I'm going to pursue him, please him all the time. Let's stand and finish. Please him all the Sevenfold vision. If Jesus was to come and give you a vision for your life, he would say, number one, this is a vision I want to see. I want to see that you love me. I want to see that you can endure hardship. I want to see that you love my words. You love my doctrine. I want to see that the Thyatira one, I missed it. But I want to see that you follow the ones that I'm sending. You love the ones that are preaching the truth. I want to see that you love the move of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to see that you wait for me to open doors and I want to see that you have a desire to please me. Seven. That's what he wants to see in the church. Seven in its fullness. If we can begin to see that as a church and as a people, we don't need to be writing other visions down. If we can just begin to understand the fullness of this vision, ooh, we are passionate people that love him. We are passionate people that say, no matter what, Jesus, for you, we will endure all sorts of hardship. We can be thrown in prison, we'll be fine. We can have plenty, we'll be fine. We can have nothing, we'll still be fine. Jesus, you and me, we are fine. Whatever comes my way, I will endure. That's the vision he, he sees for us. That's the vision he sees for us. If we can see this vision blossoming in us, we love your words, Jesus. He says, if my words abide in you, I will do anything you ask. You know, we love your word. We love your teaching, Jesus. We love it. And if we can begin to see that we love his prophets, not Jezebel's. We love his, the people that he sends to us. Because this is the work of the kingdom. To believe in the one whom he sent. And he begins to see that. That's the vision he has for us. It's a good vision. If we can begin to see that we love the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's our vision. We want to see the Holy Spirit in our midst. If we can begin to see that we want the doors of the kingdom only. The world can try and open all sorts of doors for me. I'm not interested. I want only the doors of the kingdom. What he opens is where I go. Church, if we catch the vision that says only to please him, we will be, I can't even imagine what he's going to do with our lives. So I want to pray like we prayed last week. God, Jesus, be my vision. Be our vision. Enable us to see you. Open the eyes of our hearts. That we may see the things that you want to see in our lives established. Change our hearts where we have seen ourselves more than you. Change our hearts. As we're praying, you know, if there is any inkling of repentance on you and you want to repent from any place where you have not seen it well, where you've been even actually magnifying the problem and not seeing his vision, I want you to take a moment right now, just, just the next few minutes. We've still got five minutes before we finish. Just the next few minutes, just take a moment and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And just take a moment and just repent. Say, Jesus, I want to see you. Where you've gone through hardship and perhaps you've struggled to endure 